Welcome to Har for Chabad podcast, a project of the Klein Jewish Academy. In this podcast, we take ancient Jewish wisdom and make it relevant. Each podcast includes insights culled from Jewish traditions and ideas and helps give practical ideas on how to incorporate them into your daily life. Wouldn't it be great to rewrite the past? Uh, we're talking uh, about, you know, the 2020 hindsight that we often have. You know, you can want to go back to a particularly traumatic event and go about it differently. You know, what if I could do that? Um, you know, maybe you said some things in anger that wouldn't it be great if you can go back and take back those words so that wouldn't have estranged you from your best friend or what have you. Um, we can't do that necessarily for everything in life, but in this lesson, we're going to learn about how God gives us that gift of doing just that in our spiritual lives. That we can actually have this superpower, I guess the title of this class is Superpowered About Shuva, and uh, the... Uh, the superpower is to turn things that uh, appear to be negative um, into actually a positive. Um, at the end of this Torah portion for this week, uh, Moses has been admonishing the people about uh, bad things that'll happen if you don't obey God's commandments, um, has all sorts of terrible punishments. And at, there's a whole list of them. And this particular one comes into the sixth aliyah of the, of the Torah portion. And uh, we'll start with uh, you, Andrea. Um, yeah, I gotta get you to the text first. <laughs> there we go. Okay. will bring you back to the way about which I had to, to say to you, you will never see again, and then you will see. To be, you will seek to be sold to the enemies for snake and handmade. But uh, there will be no, there will be no buy. Okay. Yeah. Looking at it, this is, the, like I said, it's the end of a string of all these curses. So, you know, looking at it at the surface level, okay, so you'll go back to Egypt the way you came, um, and the, as slaves, you know, to be sold as slaves, but uh, there'll be no buyer. Well, this is probably not as bad as some of the other curses we saw uh, that, that were before this. Uh, before this, they were talking about the 
eating your own children because you were, uh, there's so much famine, uh, things like that. Uh, so going back to Egypt seems pretty tame in uh, comparison. But Rashi explains this verse. He, he says that, you know, you're, you're going to do number one, you're going to return as captives. So that, that's pretty bad. And the reason that there won't be any buyers on the slave market is because uh, you all get killed. So, so this is a pretty, pretty frightening curse, actually. Uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, Susan, do you want to? Uh... I don't have a book. Okay. Can I, you... I, this, this is my first time doing this other than in classrooms. So I've okay. had, I've, I'm, I'm listening in and I have it muted mostly so you don't hear my dogs barking and things like that. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. You don't see the screen. I'm okay. going to be a passive participant and enjoy your voice. Not a problem. How many okay. Though, chime in. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Okay. I, is, is the, um, is there supposed to be a screen that I see or just you? Yeah, there should be the screen that you see. Oh, uh, okay. I don't I only, see the screen, Mike. Oh, okay. I only, I only see you, Mike. Alrighty then, let's see if I can. Thank you. If you can show me where it is. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're... Wait, I don't mind looking at you. It's like being in a real class listening to the teacher. <laughs> okay. No, just trying to, to get it. We should be able to, to do that. Oh, resume share. Screen sharing is paused. I wonder why. Okay, that's now it. I'm screen sharing. You got okay. It. okay. Thank you. That's, that's, I got it. Okay. Anyway, then we'll go on to Melissa to do text two. In ships, in ships of captivity. And there you will seek to be sold to your enemies. You will wish to be sold to them as slaves and handmaids. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Gotta keep on going. Click. Come on. There we go. Oh. But there will be no buyer because they will decree death and destruction upon you. Well, that's timely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So. The questions we have about this is, you know, what's all this drama about the returning the same way you were promised never to return again? Uh, we we do talk uh, about that. Melissa, can you see the screen? We Melissa, all can, can you see, see the screen it now. now. All right. Yeah. I just didn't wanna, I don't want to get now. in trouble. I'm out of town, and then all of a sudden, I'm getting in trouble. I'm gonna have to report to my superiors that I failed them. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All right. Okay. Talk to you. Okay. We actually figured it out. Yeah. So if, uh, we we had said in previous things that uh, you you know we we were talking about returning the way you came uh, in in another uh, Torah portion, and that was you know going back exactly the way you came to Egypt. You know, uh, when we talked about, uh, 
you know, Maimonides, how Maimonides could actually live and work in Egypt. It was, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so here we're talking, we weren't supposed to be going back the, exactly the way we came, but here the, the curse is that you will. I mean, the main thing is that you're going back as slaves and you're going to get killed because you won't, you won't get to the point where you'll even be sold as slaves because you'll be killed before that. Should I interrupt when I want or raise my hand or what? No, you can interrupt now. Yeah. When you first started talking, you said you were talking about, I guess, making amends and as we come to Yom Kippur, et cetera, et cetera. Will that tie in later? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. Yeah. Again, the uh, the title of this uh, lesson is the, the secret power, the superpower of the Balthashuva. So yeah. we're getting, we're setting the stage, hopefully. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Yes. Um, and also here, there was to, the talk about uh, going in boats. You know, so what, what was that all about? So we're going to try to respond to those. And yeah, so the last, as it says on the slide here, the last curse that we're talking about, that the subject of the uh, of our lesson is that the last one promises return to enslavement in Egypt in boats and ultimately death. So the question is, why is it so important and relevant that they'll return along the same path? And what's the point about being in boats? I mean, Rashi doesn't usually translate unless he needs to. So we're going to find out the reason why. Okay, so the Rebbe uh, looked at this, uh, these uh, quotes from the Torah and came up with this, the following premise. And the premise is in text three. And how about Paul? You could do that. Every detail in the verse is not just part of one broad curse, namely that the Jews will return to Egypt. Rather, each detail adds another layer of calamity. So the whole bit about returning to Egypt and the way they came and with boats is not just uh one thing is to basically build the drama, so to speak. You know, um, you know, the fact that talked about going the way they came, that's one thing. And then with boats, uh, that should add a little bit more uh, detail and another layer of calamity, as it says here. So. There's, I mean, to the, to the Jews, going back to Egypt is got to, you know, sort of exhibit PTSD in, <laughs> in, in some of the people. I mean, okay, this wasn't the generation that came out of Egypt. It's the, the, the following generation, but 
they know the story, they've, they've experienced some of the uh, calamities in the desert, you know. Um, so there, there's a trauma there. Uh, but in, in terms of the boats, let's, let's talk about that for a second. And yeah, traveling by boat is much harsher than uh, traveling on land. You know, um, it, you're on a boat and you're on a boat to be sold as slaves. There's going to be, you know, it's, you're a captive audience, literally. Uh, you know, you can't get away from your uh, taskmasters, the, the, the slavers, uh, for any length of time. You know, at least if you're traveling back on land, uh, you might be able to get a, a respite from uh, the, the forced march. You know, you can uh, spread out while you eat or, or what have you. Um, but you know, on boats, I mean, we know from the American experience of the, uh, the Americans who came as slaves that um, the conditions were, were atrocious. You know, on land, you might have had a little bit better a chance of uh, having some, some treatment that wasn't so harsh. Um, but as for the desert, I mean, they, they had spent 40 years in the desert, most of them. And uh, they knew that the desert has, it had its own hazards and trauma. So uh, let's go on to text four, Robin. Who led you through that great and awesome desert in which there were snakes, vipers, and scorpions and drought where there was no water? Who brought water out for you out of solid rock? Really, the only way the, the Jews could survive in that desert for the 40 years was by divine intervention. And uh, we have it here. You know, how did the clouds of glory surround the Jewish people in the desert? Rabbi Hoshia says, from seven different directions, four directions of the world, one above them, another beneath them, and a final seventh that would go ahead of them at a distance of seven days. This cloud would kill off all the snakes, scorpions, and other dangerous elements, as well as remove rocks. If there was a valley, it would raise the ground. If there was a hill, it would flatten it and make the path straight. So the clouds of glory really almost baby the, the Jews in the desert. You know, uh, we know that they never had to uh, have new clothes. The clothes would grow with them. They would be, uh, uh, they, they would be cleaned. Um, they had water from Miriam's rock. Uh, well, rather, um, they, um, would have the, uh, the mana come from heaven to be their sustenance. So all this you know, shielded them from the harsh realities of the desert, but they knew what those harsh realities were too. So the threat of being returned back to Egypt 
the way they came uh, was probably pretty ominous to, to a lot of people. And let's go to 6A and Andrea again. Once an early season, and usually they are a person with the week, they are used to be whipping with. Okay, so, you know, if you have those fears in you to begin with, you know, having Moses say it, you know, being the word of God, it's really going to put the fear into you, really, uh, really exacerbate that fear. Uh, and Melissa. One can only threaten and intimidate a person with the whip they are used to being whipped with. Huh. It's one thing to be, as they put it here, schlepped back to Egypt and be sold as slaves. That's bad enough. But the idea of being dragged along that very same route that the people had experienced or I guess vicariously experienced through their your parents, uh, you know, ha knowing how dangerous it, it is or was, you know, really deepens the trauma. Okay. That's what it says right there. And as we said, in terms of the perils of traveling at sea, uh, you know, you have, uh, you know, the typical uh, Stereotypical thing of the the people in the ships, you know, rowing with the oars, and then the, the taskmasters uh, whipping them to to go faster or to go in uh, in, in synchronization. Um, you know, Michael, excuse me. Yes. Are you not you? But is this implying that the taskmasters and the people doing the whipping have? been slaves and been whipped themselves. I didn't know about that, if that's true. Oh, no, 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 no. Just saying that, you know, uh, the Jewish people had experienced being slavery. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and going through the desert. Okay, yes, they were shielded by these clouds of glory, um, but they know the realities of the desert. So... It, it says you something to the effect of you can only hurt others in the way that you've been hurt yourself? Uh, let's see. Let's go back. Let's see. You can only threaten the person. So we're still talking about the, the Jews here. The, those yeah, yeah, being yeah. yeah, so they've been well, uh, not them, but they're parents were certainly subject to slavery and and, uh -huh. and and the whip so you know this you know brings back memories or uh, or, or or legends that their parents had told them so okay. it just you know amplifies that that fear i think that's what they're trying to say here okay so so we talked about traveling at sea um, 
a little digression here. This is a Hasidic story about the curses depicted in our Parsha. And uh, I guess we're up to Paul. The older Rebbe himself was a, was a regular Torah reader in the synagogue. Once he was away from Leozna on the Shabbat of Parshat Kitevo, when the um, Nutella Rebbe, his son, not yet Bar Mitzvah, heard the Torah reading from another, his anguish at the curses in the section of uh, admonition caused him so much heartache that on Yom Kippur, the altar Rebbe doubted whether his son would be able to fast. When they asked the Nutella Rebbe, don't you hear this Parsha every year? He replied, when father reads, one hears no curses. <laughs> yeah. The, again, there's it's not, there's, there's various levels to read in the Torah. Uh, you know, on the outer level, you know, it's just a literal interpretation. That's that's one thing, but you know, as usual, we usually go into the, the, the spiritual level. And as the Zohar, the book of mysticism, tells us that, you know, that, that there are many layers. And we have that in text eight, Roman. Rabbi Shimon said, woe is to those who state that the Torah is here simply to tell us stories and other ordinary matters. Rather, every word of the Torah is supernal and contains deep secrets. Okay. And what we're trying to say here actually is proposing here is that each of these curses is actually, when you look deeper into it, a profound blessing. And the proof text is here, text nine, and um, Andrea again. That's your face, Neville. It is admonishment and truth, but in the hidden meaning is God's love and word of love. Secretly is entirely word of comfort. Yeah, just as we assumed earlier that every detail adds to the intensity of the curse, we can also apply that the other way around uh, and say that every detail is another layer to the the goodness of this of these blessings. Um, Okay, how do they turn that blessing around that you'll be so hungry you'll eat your children? <laughs> how does that one get there? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I mean, when, when the temple was destroyed, I mean, there was quite a bit, uh, a bit of famine. I mean, when, uh, when they were... Uh, um, you know, doing the uh, surrounding the temple and trying to get through the law, the walls. Actually, the the zealot um, destroyed the food, oh. so that people would have to fight 
as opposed to uh, uh, be passive about it. <laughs> so there was real famine there. Um, whether there's actually proof text that they <laughs> ate their children, I don't know, but I don't think so. But uh, it, it got really desperate at some time. Um, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, we were talking about being on the sea in a boat was made made it harder but I can tell you that if I'd been out in the desert for 40 years a little boat trip to Egypt wouldn't be so bad <laughs> yeah but we were talking about both here they're saying you're going back the way I told you you would never go and you're gonna go by boat so I don't know, you know, maybe it's just partial way back and then uh, the rest of the trip is by boat. So it's, uh, you know, uh, trying to put the, the fear of God into people. And uh, I guess every, every bit of these details was trying to add to that fear of God. But if you look at it at the deeper level, it's uh, actually, blessings yeah so why is god making these you know sort of wild threat well they're not wild threats i mean obviously god could do it um but uh and and you know why do we have to you know ask that question why are all these negative things actually blessings so well You know, it, it, was it just to scare the people? You know, God isn't really that petty, is he? And the answer is no. And we have in actually next uh, week's Torah portion, a proof text that'll uh, explain that in a, in a second. Let's just see. Okay, so that's basically what I've been saying. And then text 10 is, and it will be when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, that you will consider in your heart amongst, among all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you will return to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And you will listen to his voice according to all that I am commanding you this day, you and your children. And if you notice in the second paragraph there, and you will return to the Lord. Now, the word for return is teshuva. So that's, uh, you know, we, we think of that sometimes as, as you know, forgiveness, but it, it's a return to God. So it wasn't just to intimidate the Jews. It's you know, and God's not out to get us. You know, these are threats and curses that give us the opportunity to do teshuva, to return to the Lord. And, you know, true teshuva is only possible when we realize that we've actually done something wrong 
and consciously make that decision to mend our ways. So it does contain the, the ultimate blessing, as it were, of all these other curses, because it allows us much benefit if we do do teshuva. Uh, and in the next text, there's a, a Talmudic statement about the Baal teshuva, the, the, the person who returns. Yeah, so that's it. The purpose, the threat of punishment is to motivate us to Teshuvah. And let's um, go, let's see, I just did that one. So Andrea again. Take a look. They start to say, Jerry is the repentant, and one intentional since are counted for, for him and merit. And this is the state. And when the wicked turns from the wickedness and does that which is lawful and right, he shall live uh, thereby. And all his deeds, even his salvation, will become Christ's work. Okay, now I don't know if you remember about this Raish Lakish. He was a bandit. He was the leader of a bandit group, he used to rob people. Um, and he became a scholar, a great sage. Uh, so this hits close to home for him because he had lots of sins. <laughs> uh, but he did return and became a great sage and uh, um, probably his experiences in the secular outside world and the world of crime and, and everything helped um, inform him you know, when say he was on, in, in a court of law and he had to judge people. You know, he could certainly empathize with, with people who had gone astray, as it were. Um, but what does it mean that transgressions become praiseworthy? You're, you're, you're basically transforming transgressions into merits. There are lots of explanations for that. Um, but we're going to use one that ties into these traumatic memories. Um, and this, again, is the, the subject, uh, the title of the subject, that the, the Baal Teshuvah has this superpower to rewrite history. Um, we know you know, about the concepts of good and evil. You know, that's pretty straightforward, but in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism, the concept goes beyond simply that binary, either good or evil. 
Um, there's actually levels of evil. There are two types of evil. So first is what we think of as probably conventionally evil, <laughs> I guess you could call it. Uh, things like uh, murder, rape, uh, lying. Um, and for the second aspect, uh, the religious aspect, perhaps you would, you would have like eating pork, uh driving on the sabbath um cremation uh things of that nature that that's just but there's another type of evil which is more benign um you know some of us might not even consider a level of evil at all and that's uh under this category falls pretty much anything that's not purely holy, you know, fully holy. Yeah, example that they give here, the classic example is kosher food. While it's entirely possible to eat such food for holy reasons, uh, the Sabbath or uh, to have that motive that, okay, I'm eating to supply me the energy so that I can serve God. Um, if you don't have those reasons, the act of consumption is automatically rendered evil simply because it's not for a holy purpose. And this goes back to the concept that we have of uh, sparks. Uh, we've spoken about this uh, several times that everything in the universe has some of these sparks in them, holy sparks. There are pieces of God that need to be elevated. And uh, the, uh, in, in Kabbalah, it's called nitsosos. Uh, we can think of them as, as positive, uh, I guess, uh, quanta, if uh, I want to put it into uh, more uh, scientific terms, I guess, of energy that animate everything. And when something is this benign evil, the evil is not so strong as to completely uh, subsume that holy spark. Instead, you know, the, the spark is there but it's dormant and it's still waiting to be redeemed. So if you eat that apple because you need that energy to pray, do a, a mitzvah, whether it be positive or negative, um, you're freeing that spark that was in that apple. If you're eating it, uh, I don't know if you're uh, eating that apple uh, apple pie eating contest, you know, just to get the blue ribbon. Uh, even though that apple pie is kosher, uh, you're not really freeing that spark up because you're not using it to a holy purpose.
And that they say is this and that wasn't benign evil. It wasn't considered putting it in a kosher apple pie, uplifting its spark as opposed to a pie made with lard. <laughs> you know, the person who made the pie consciously had the concept of I'm making this a kosher pie. I have a choice. I could do a non-kosher pie. I could put lard in the um, mm -hmm. dough, or I can keep the lard out and make this a kosher pie. Mm -hmm. You know, to me, that's still one level of. Well, uh, yeah. Again, uh, maybe there's still untapped energy there. It, it's still there. Yes, it, it just lies dormant. If 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 you you waste it on the apple pie eating contest. You're not freeing. So the pie, spark. so the apple that you dip in honey for Rosh Hashanah has a greater. You are freeing the spark by doing the level. mitzvah. Okay. You're doing the mitzvah and and, and raising that. Uh, for those who eat meat, again, if you have, you're eating something that's slaughtered properly and the meat is prepared in the kosher way, those sparks that were in that animal are, are being raised to a higher level. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to eat meat. <laughs> you know, again, use your, use the, uh, uh, the other food that you eat to do a mitzvah, you, like the apple, you're, you're raising the sparks there in that apple. I mean, there's sparks in, in inanimate things too. How is the level of spark or whatever it would, however you would phrase it, hmm. how do you quantify the qualifiers? How do you, how do you, how, it sounds like there's a rating level, sort of. <laughs> and if we go back to what Robin was saying about- Right, like, I was kind of giving it the rating. Well, but but it, it sounds like that got a lower rating than the apple at the um, service for Rosh Hashanah. And yeah. I was wondering how you, not you, but it is decided <laughs> what level of sparkiness. How much? How, how much, much value? I don't know how much value. Credit. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good, good, uh, good way to put it. How close to God is that? A better? I mean, how how much elevation toward God is one thing versus another? Well, it's it's how much you can take out of it if you can extract all the holiness, the holy sparks out of it. And you can only do that if you're using it for a holy purpose. So how is keeping kosher less holy than performing a ritual at a service for you, Rosh Hashanah? I mean, keep making a kosher apple pie. For yeah. No, I, I mean, I think the person who made the apple pie <laughs> yeah. gets some, uh, some more of that credit. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To elevate the apple by making it in a kosher food Correct. as opposed to a non-kosher. Yes, food. but that person who was eating it was not doing it for a right a, a, a holy purpose. Right. No, I was talking about the cook. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So, so I, yeah. So I think the cook does, uh, yeah, like I said, you get the credit as it were. <laughs> does that credit translate like to a feeling like I know, okay. So I know when I cook and if I know I'm making something that's um, going to be used for Passover, let's say for the Seder, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm making the food for the Seder meal. Okay. It's kosher, but it's being used for the Seder. So I feel like I'm doing something more important. Like I get more of a good feeling about my work as opposed to if I'm just making dinner. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Like, to me, like I, I get a piece of that spark. Well, you're, you're doing it for a more, Sacred I guess, it, I guess a more holy purpose. Right. Yes. Right. So, so that translates to me also, not just the inanimate object. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our mission in this world to try and free up as many of these, as much of these sparks as we can. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that's correct. I don't know that that answers your question. So we could do a weight loss system called Doom. You think you need something to do in your retirement, that's it. Oh, God, I mm. mean, that must mean I have to give up the chocolate ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, actually I had come up with some. So let, let's talk about, yeah, something that's, that, that's, that's benign evil. You know, there's, it's okay, so it's dormant. Um, but in the, first evil that we talked about, you know, you know, when we talked about rape and all, all that, you know, there's essentially no spark to be redeemed. Yeah, you know, there's nothing. Uh, it, it, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't sparks that are awaiting to be redeemed in whatever object or whatever person or animal or whatever. But, you know, this was just done. The, the situation is that it's just so buried, it, it, it's not extractable. <laughs> um, so at the benign level of evil, the sparks are transformable there, there, there's a there is that chance of redemption through the act of a mitzvah if instead of eating that apple pie in the apple pie contest the, you, you you took that apple pie and ate it in celebration of Rosh Hashanah that you know you could then redeem whatever sparks are left over from the person who made the apple pie um, but the in the other case, they're just beyond redemption. Uh, they're just so trapped inside this 
whatever container it is that you 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 cannot redeem them. So the only way to deal with this true evil, I guess you can call it whatever we want to call that first kind of evil, is by just you're rejecting it and just staying away from it. Um, okay, so I have a little problem here. Okay. I don't think you can answer the question. I think it needs to go to a higher authority. <laughs> okay. But maybe I'm misunderstanding something. So I understand the concept of the spark, but honestly, the apple doesn't care. The apple is an inanimate object. Yeah. It doesn't have any feelings. It doesn't have a thought process. It doesn't think, am I being eaten for good or evil? Right. And I thought part of the religious world is you don't give like feelings to inanimate objects. Like, right. So, but the way you're talking about it, it's like you're kind of giving feelings to these objects by you're saying you're rising their level up. Well, wait a minute. We talked about the fact that- um, Right, the cow doesn't care. <laughs> no, we, we talked yeah. about the fact that I believe that, and stop me if I'm wrong on this one, but I thought we talked about the fact that, um, you know, like animals have a neshama, you know, it's at a lower level than ours, but they mm -hmm. have one that, um, Anything that has life to it, which would be the fruit of the fruit tree, like an apple, that it has energy, life energy that can be. Okay. Yeah, even the inanimate object, even inanimate objects, a rock has some of this, okay. these sparks in them. Now, if you take that rock and you throw it at someone and kill them, then those sparks are not going to be released. Right, okay. But if you take that rock and build a building that will, you know, keep people safe from predators or warm in the winter, you know, do things for, you know, use it in, in a positive sense, in the sense of doing a, a positive commandment or what have you. Uh, that will will allow you those sparks to be elevated. Okay. The one thing they do talk about here is, is again back getting back to fruit here. Uh, there's the first three years that uh, a tree, uh, a fruit bearing tree, grows. It's forbidden to use the fruit. That's a prohibition that's called orla. During the fourth year, and this was again in Israel and when the temple stood, uh, the owner of that fruit tree was not able to eat the fruit at home, but had to bring the fruit up to Jerusalem and redeem its value and give the money to the Levites. And only thereafter, after that fourth year, when he redeemed that that fruit from the fourth year and gave it to the to the uh, Levites, he was allowed to then eat, sell, or whatever is fruit. 
So let's say, well, we'll keep it with apples. Might as well keep apples with apples here. Uh, the apple has gone through these two, these different layers of evil. The first three years, it's that utter evil. It's just irredeemable, can't be eaten, no way, no how, that's it. But it gets to the fourth year, then it goes into this benign evil mode. So there's that spark, which is redeemable or transformable, but you have to do it according to how God commanded you to do it. So you have to go to Jerusalem. And in that case, you're literally redeeming that spark. You're selling it and giving the money to the Levites. And that could be found here in text 12a. And who are we up to? I think me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Please. Evil can be broken down into two categories. The first is benign evil that contains a mix of good and bad. And it is this force that animates all neutral matters on earth. The second is utter evil. And it is this force that animates all forbidden matter on earth. This is the secret of the year's journey of Orla and Rivayi. The first three years are the years of utter evil. And in the fourth year, benign evil takes over and the fruit can thus be redeemed. By contrast, the evil of the first years is irredeemable. This then is the deeper difference between active positive mitzvot, mitzvot assay, and passive negative mitzvot, mitzvot lo ta'aseh. Mitzvot assay transform this benign evil Whereas forbidden matter and the clutches of utter evil are irredeemable. As such, mitzvot lo ta'aseh are put in place to distance these forbidden matters so they, sh so they shouldn't suck away any positive energy. So I don't know if that made that any clearer than what I tried to, to say. And I'm not saying that I'm a, an expert on this at all, but uh, so we go through the levels of evil here with just, you know, a simple tree bearing fruit. The problem with this concept is that we don't want to say that the, the true evil, is, that means that there's no spark there, there there can't be it can't be that there's no spark there it's just that it's it's just buried so that we can't get at it you know because everything is part of god nothing can exist outside of god so you know it's got to have those sparks within it um Let's see. So whatever positive energy that may exist is too trapped in uh, the, the, the muck, as they put it here, and there's no way to redeem them. 
Okay, so let's go on to 12B, Paul. However, it's obvious that nothing can truly exist without some sort of holy energy. We must conclude that even utter evil contains some sort of holy spark, but it is so swallowed into the evil so as to be completely irredeemable. Thus, we distance these forbidden matters and the holy spark they contain along with them, for there's no other way. Okay, you had another comment? Yes, I mean, I, I don't understand then. What do we do with, um, you know, people that have been accused of rape or murder or adultery? Just shun them, never forgive them, even if they serve their time? Well, at least... In the, in the case of human beings, there's always a path back. You can always do teshuva. It might be, well, the equivalent to, uh, to confession and, and, and Catholicism. Um, you know, on your deathbed, if, if you truly repent and turn to God at even at the last second of your life, you can truly return, literally return. Um, so uh, no, we, 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 I mean, that's why there are laws in place. We do have the halacha where, where you, you have strict rules on, you know, how to, uh, to try and, and, and convict uh, such people and what their punishments are. Um, you know, with, with this, these extreme crimes and the punishment may be death. And uh, the hope there is that uh, by being strangled or stoned or burned, uh, whatever the... Uh, the capital punishment method is that brings about some redemption to that person. So we, you know, we don't we don't shun them, especially. Well, I mean, again, in these extreme cases, these are capital crimes, so uh, there isn't uh, this situation of being able to serve their time and, and uh, then become a productive member of society again. I mean, the whole Jewish penal system is, is not, is, is, you know, that they didn't really do too much in terms of imprisoning, but it, it was to try and bring people back as, as a, you know, opposed to Shelling. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. We we don't we shouldn't make the mistake that that uh, the 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 sparks that have gotten you know smothered in the clutches of the pure evil is <laughs> inferior to that. That that's hanging out in the benign evil either, um, and as it says here, in fact, the, the 
the they're greater you know the, the lower a holy spark is buried the higher it originally was where where, where it sat um and yeah so in other words godly energy trapped in the clutches of non-kosher food for example is greater than the godly energy uh, trapped in your kosher tuna sandwich it says here but the only thing about it even though it has more energy it's redeemable irredeemable rather yeah you can't redeem okay and so like her. yeah 12 right okay 12 c as per the rule that whatever falls lower must stem from a loftier perch, as in the example of a toppled wall, it emerges that the holy sparks that have fallen into the clutches of utter evil that are far lower than those in benign evil stem from a much loftier place. Inasmuch as the holy sparks that animate forbidden matters is actually from a loftier place than those that animate neutral matter. That is precisely why it has fallen so low. But now that it is so low, we distance it entirely. Okay. I was trying to make an analogy. Let's see what this says first. Okay, so everything has these holy sparks and they're just, some are just buried so deep that they're irredeemable. So we say, stay away from them. I was thinking an analogy of fracking, okay, getting oil out of the shale rock. Now, the concept there is that the oil is always there. I mean, you do have that uh, energy in, inside these rocks, but the only time we try to free it is when it's economically feasible. Yeah, you know, we make the cost benefit analysis, uh, the oil companies will, or the energy companies will, and when it's gonna cost them less to put in the effort to free that oil out of the rock, is when they'll do so because then they can sell it and make a profit. Um, when there happens to be a, a glut of oil or gas on the market, um, they'll shut down their their fracking uh, uh, or efforts. You know, the holy sparks are buried such that it's not possible to free them and elevate them, much like the fact that, you know, we, we don't frack unless it's economically feasible. And also the fact that, you know, this concept of fracking uh, is, you know, decades old, uh, but we, just really recently that we've had uh, economical efficient technology to do so. So I guess you could sort of think that 
a getting those sparks out of that uh, ham hock. Uh, you know, if we had had the technology, maybe we could attempt to do that. But since since we don't have that technology, we should just avoid it. <laughs> I don't know if that helped. I mean, that that was just something I tried to come up with. Um, so let's go to the Baal Shuva. You know, That's uh, a country song, Spark and a Ham Hock. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, th those of us who lament about the missed opportunities and wanting to go back and make it better, uh, basically was, you know, the analogy would be back to redeeming those what seems to be now irredeemable sparks, but they're not irredeemable. Now, when the sinner mends his or her ways, uh, resolves to recommit with a true conviction, he or she brings those sparks with him or her. When you made the mistake of eating pork, for example, so many years ago, you know, whether you were aware of it or not, you ate the pork, you ate, you, you know, and ingested those sparks as well. Uh, again, they're irredeemable for you in general, but uh, now that you've become strictly kosher and, you know, you you basically transform that past sin into something that's positive. And so therefore you can redeem those sparks. So that one-eyed bacon cheeseburger I was talking about, <laughs> now that I'm kosher, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't dare eat it again no no it's pretty darn good <laughs> well there's bacon bits uh, there's nothing wrong with the uh <laughs> with a, a veggie burger with cheese <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> could do that we could try it no i'm not <laughs> buying that veggie cheese anymore. no no i said the veggie burger yeah you can use the impossible burger and put you can put a piece of kosher cheese on it some bacon bits and an egg. Hey, probably not as good as what I remember, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I still have those sparks <laughs> latent inside me from when I ate that thing. <laughs> and the fact that I have truly done teshuva, have <laughs> realized the error of my ways, and I'm not going to do it again. And, and you know, and, and that's that's true because you know, obviously, uh, God knows one way or another whether this is a a fleeting moment or, or or a permanent thing. Then those sparks can be redeemed. So you've actually done some time travel. You've gone back to when you've done these bad things, these evil things, you know, uh, and 
transform them into good things and raise those sparks. Are we free, supposed to think about the things that you've done? Well, every year you're supposed to uh, try. Okay. <laughs> Come to Teshuva and uh, uh, you know, make amends, you know, uh, for the sins that you've committed over the year. At what point developmentally are kids responsible? I mean, there's the um, whole idea of becoming a man or a woman that's by bas or bar mitzvah. And, and, and that's it, that's it. Uh, and, until, okay, so until you're 12 for a woman, a girl, 13 for a boy, uh, you're forgiven for all your trespasses really. Um, you're, you're not uh, mature enough. You're not responsible enough for that. I think it's between 12 and 13 and what, 20? Because she said, yeah. yeah, is your uh, your apprenticeship. You know, you're, you're going to make mistakes, but mm -hmm. you are responsible for those mistakes you made. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then at 20, that's that's it. You know, you're, <laughs> you know better. You know better. There's nothing that, you know, no should stop. Excuses. Yeah, no more excuses. That's right. Mike, what if, um, you know, now that we have the modern fields of psychiatry, psychology, has there been any further halakha on, say, extending that time for someone with, say, ADHD or bipolar, mental illness? Well, again, uh, a lot of these laws do not apply to certain people. I mean, okay, some of it is we might consider archaic. We get um, a 504 from, plan from God. <laughs> right. Well, that's right. If, if, if you're mentally incapable, uh, then, then you're not yeah, to blame. Um, yeah, it used to be, uh, again, uh, what we might consider archaic was someone who was uh, uh, blind or deaf because, well, that's where we got the concept of deaf and dumb. Uh, you know, if you're deaf, well, then you can't understand what's going on. And so you're, you're not responsible for uh, these negative actions. Uh, so there's always been something built into halakha about that. So is that what the Bet-Din would um, decide for someone who might be what would be considered feeble-minded, not having the capacity to decide on certain what's right and wrong? Right, like a, like a suicide. Um, you know, uh, they might determine that that person was uh, not rational at the time that they committed that act. So, you know, suicide is a sin. But if you weren't in the right mind, you might not be fully responsible for. Well, it reminds me of the four questions and the four sons, the different types of sons that were asking the questions. Mm -hmm. And the simple son would not have been able to make certain decisions. That, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you have to, and you have to. Uh, and that's why you, you have 
judges and, and the and these courts because every every case is has to be judged on its own merits. Okay, so yeah, so when you're talking about the the pork, you push it away because that's the best thing to do. But then you might get to the point where you've basically gone over that and they're um oh I didn't know we, used have, we used to have another 12d yeah okay and you did 12c mm -hmm. so let me yeah but okay so this then is the quality of the balteshuva through their act of teshuva they transform sin into merit how by redeeming the holy sparks within utter evil essentially transforming that evil into good this is greater achievement than anything that Sadiq can do, who only transforms benign evil and is unable to touch utter evil. Their only relationship therewith is pushing it away by sticking it, sticking to mitzvot, but they are unable to transform it. Now the Sadiq is one who always does the good stuff. Uh, you know, they they haven't. They, they're not equipped to face this evil. The Baal Deshuva has, has faced it and has overcome it by doing true Deshuva. So therefore, the, you know, as we have said in the past, the, the Baal Deshuva is probably greater in some respects than the, the Tzaddik. Because, you know, if you've grown up in a household where you never saw a non-kosher product, never been tempted, there's, you know, it, it's not as powerful as somebody who has eaten that forbidden crab cake and has actually given it up, truly given it up. You know, we stated earlier that every detail of the that verse contributed to that curse, or now we're talking about it as being a blessing, because again, you go back and you you transform that curse into a blessing. Um, so the let's go back to that returning to Egypt on the same path. So one who's able to be able to go back to Egypt on that same terrifying path is uh, and, and repeating the trauma is someone who has completely healed. They've overcome that, that trauma and are able to do it. They took all that negative energy and transformed it into positive, healthy, uh, being, <laughs> internal being. You know, this is, you know, basically the Baal Teshuvah. You've been there and overcome it. And, you know, if I go into that restaurant and I see that when I bacon cheeseburger, I'm not going to order it. That's all. Okay, they carry. 
All right, um, Andrea, could you do 13A, please? This right. is the deeper meaning of the verse, and God will bring you back to Egypt, etc. And how the, the purpose of the deeper meaning of the entire uh, so, 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 So the Baal Shuva can go behind the enemy lines, so to speak, and go on a special ops mission and bring back those who were, that were once irredeemable sparks. Now, we haven't talked about that boat thing again. <laughs> really should uh, try to address that. I mean, the boat, you know, we talked about the terrible things about the boat and, and, you know, carrying slaves on the boat. But you know, think of it that the boat is on the water. The boat allows, it protects you from the water, from the waves and everything, and allows you to travel over the waves and in, well, unless the, the seas are rough, in many cases you could you can travel peacefully over the waves. And after being in the desert, you get a little spritz. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so here they talk about the boat being a metaphor for the healing process. That's teshuva. Yeah, essentially one goes into that those deep raging waters of enemy territory, uh, all the while protected by that big safe boat of that Torah commitment, committed lifestyle, you know, enabling you to emerge on the other side, a healthy and holy Jew. And let's see. Okay, Melissa, I hope. Yeah, I think this is the last one. Ships are designed to protect a person as they traverse a body of water. And so it is in spiritual matters. When a soul is thrust into the raging waters of this world, she must have something to protect her from drowning. These are the ships of Torah and mitzvot. Rashi tells us that in as much as the discussion here is a situation that has spiraled into sin, right down the path we were instructed never to go down again, we must doubly so have the protection of these ships. 
Okay. So. Can you put that back one second, please? Oh, sure. I was just taking a shot of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that's difficult to absorb it while you're talking. Yeah. So we're again talking about the superpower of the teshuva. You know, it's we're lucky to have it and we should use it. And through using it, we turn these evils into good and we become truly blessed. And maybe Mike, yeah. is this from the Likute Sikot? Is that Tanya? No, no. This is the, the Rebbe. Uh, they've recorded, uh, they wrote down uh, a lot of his uh, speeches for, oh. uh, over the Torah portions. So this is the, the, the last Rebbe. Um, Tanya was done by the Alta Rebbe, the first Rebbe. So uh, he he takes the, the Torah portion each week. And since it was usually a Devar Torah that was given on the Sabbath, they couldn't record these things. So they had actually had people who um, basically had photographic memories uh, who would record these things, write it down after Shabbos, and then they were sent to the Rebbe to, uh, to edit. So he might be, he might have expanded on some of the things that they wrote down, or uh, he gave them a chance to, to refine it. You know, maybe it didn't come out the, the way uh, uh, he had intended or what have you. And so these were recorded down in, in this Lukute Sukkot. Um, and actually, Chabad is now uh, promoting a campaign that uh, the Hasidim uh, go through um, on an annual basis. So in other words, they would be going through the same portion uh, that we are because most of our things are ultimately based on uh, the Rebbe's uh, interpretations, but you know, they'd go through that whole, whole speech um, every week so that they'd finish in a year. You know, much like they do the, uh, the Maimonides, the Mishnah Torah, they'll do three chapters of Maimonides uh, a day. Um, so there's about a thousand chapters. So if you do three chapters a day, you finish in a year, an annual cycle. So this is a this is a new thing here, and, and actually they're hoping that'll that'll help the the Torah studies because if someone has to go through and study it, maybe they can uh, derive a, a lesson that we can use in Torah studies. So this might be a, a win-win situation. Uh, for for us who, you know, can merely do the Torah studies as opposed to uh, going through the 
whole speech, which um, could have taken hours, actually. Mm. What about um, Mishnah and what about uh, Kabbalah? Are there also classes for those, for that? Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know if on Chabad.org if they have a, a daily Mishnah. I, I do study the daily Mishnah, but it's, uh, well, I guess I have to say it in public uh, from the conservative. Uh, <laughs> right. We had Mishnah Yomit and the conservative yes. school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I do that. I, I have a yeah, I'm on an email list for that. Um, and then Dolph Yomi is is the the Talmud, the um, the daily Talmud uh, portion that that can be studied uh, online. There are are websites for that as well. I mean, there's no uh, lack of opportunities. <laughs> Definitely no lack for those things. Yeah, the Torah studies is a little unique, uh, uh, somewhat unique in, in in that you know it'll it'll take you know maybe <laughs> one line, which is is probably what the the Rebbe did too. He took that verse and he expounded on it for a two hour speech. Um, we we get the uh, more of a, a watered down version, which is more. Uh, hopefully more understandable for us. <laughs> so let me finish up here because I know we're very late again. Okay, so um, Teshuvah is about reaching into the past and essentially changing it. You're rewriting that script so that you emerge with a net positive you know you're you're able to retrieve that previously irredeemable energy which is a, just a wonderful power uh something that sadik can't do yeah those who've experienced the, you know a torment um and as we we're talking about with you know modern psychology and all with you know, cognitive therapy, you could go back in time and, and rewrite that in uh, so that you re-experience in a different way and you ultimately emerge healthier for it. Um, you know, painful things that you've done to others, they're, they're pretty difficult to undo. And as we know, uh, for this Rosh Hashanah holiday, you know, a uh, thing you 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 pray to God for things that you've done uh, against Him, so to speak. You know, the uh, the mitzvahs that are between you and God, you can pray to God for forgiveness. But the mitzvahs or sins that you have between you and your fellow human, you have to go back to that person and ask for forgiveness. I mean, if we're on the receiving side, we're enjoined to forgive that person. Um, but, you know, some people can't necessarily do that or not do that right away. If you're turned away by that person, um, you should try uh, at least a, a couple more times 
and then you've done your due diligence, you've tried as much as you can, you've realized your sin, and you resolve not to do it again. And uh, with God's help, you will have, you will have to shoot them. But, you know, things between man and man, you're supposed to go and, and ask forgiveness there. Things between man and God, that's between you and God. Um, I think that's a great way to stop. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, again, I'm sorry about the the time, but um, I I think this was very productive our our little discussions. I mean, I may not have given us have all the answers, but I, I think we've worked worked on this and and hopefully solved <laughs> resolved most of your your burning issues. And we can always ask the, the rabbi next time. Uh, next next time is uh, the Rosh Hashanah lecture uh, lesson, which is uh, canceling the culture of cancel culture. And that means finding common ground from a godly perch. Uh, and I'd have to remind myself of what that was all about. That, <laughs> that certainly wasn't uh, my my suggestion for a title. <laughs> anyway, have a good, have a good rest of the week, and uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, next week. This podcast is produced by Harfer Chabad and the Klein Jewish Academy. To learn more, visit harferchabad.org forward slash podcast.